If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. I want to read the very end of chapter 27 into chapter 28. Give you some thoughts of Easter Sunday that I hope will be a challenge, an encouragement, a time of reflection. As we experience very really, I think you've heard the the tension in this service, when, Paul, uh, when Jeff opened up, you could hear the emotion in his voice. And then to watch your expressions as we clapped and sang, My Redeemer Lives. Paul, or sorry, Daniel, as he came up and prayed, and you could feel again the emotion. And I don't think that's unsimilar to the emotions you feel on this Friday, Saturday, Sunday that we're going to read about here in Matthew. Matthew, that tax collector, records that Saturday-Sunday time in this passage. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 62. The next day, so this is Saturday, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive... After three days, I will rise. So therefore, because of that claim, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. And so Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it secure as you can. And so they went and they made the tomb secure, and here's how they did it, by sealing the stone and then setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And they arrived just as daybreak on that Sunday morning, and behold, that's the famous passage or caption that Matthew loves in his gospel, behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and I love this, and and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, The guards trembled and became like dead men. But, verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Christ who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. So come, see the place where he lay, and then go quickly. And tell his disciples that he was risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb. Now, notice the emotions. With fear and great joy. And ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. I'll be honest, I don't even know what vocal inflection to give that. How did Jesus sound when he said greetings? And they came up and took hold of his feet and and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. 
And while they were going, behold, some of the guard, they've actually now come to, went into the city and told the chief priests and all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money. And by the way, that means they negotiated. So they, they gave an offer and the guy said, no, that's not enough. And they upped the offer. So that's what that means there. And they said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while they were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, that's Pilate, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this very day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him But some doubted. Now again, if you write in your Bible, underline the word doubted, draw a line over to the margin and write the word hesitated. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, that's about the fifth time I've said behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. For just a few moments this morning, I want you to think about these three words, Christmas, Easter, and Halloween. You might be shocked to know that those are the three most celebrated money-spent holidays of Western culture. And by the way, not in that order. With a combination and collision of events, if you think about Christmas and Easter and Halloween, you've got Santa Claus versus Jesus. You have the Easter bunny versus Jesus. And some might go so far as to say, and I'm not sure that they're right or not, but Satan versus Jesus when it comes to Halloween. Each of these holidays has a somber and serious side, and each have a competing, fun, revelry, celebration side. Whether it's turkey dinners or beautiful gifts under a tree, chocolate bunnies, or candy by saying trick-or-treat, songs, stories, and traditions. But make no mistake about it here this morning, on April the 21st of 2019, without a doubt, Easter wins hands down For the time when the world actually stands still and must come to grips with what to do with Jesus. Primarily, what do you do with his resurrection? There's television shows, movies, documentaries, books, all describing, defending, denying the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The world is fascinated about it. The world argues over it. Both those who claim it and those who unclaim it. Even right now, we are in the throes of this tension. And so my question is, what do you think of the resurrection of Jesus? Joe Lamosio writes in his book, If I Should Die Before I Live. If I were to ask you to describe Easter without using any words... You can only use punctuation marks. 
Which punctuation mark would you choose to describe Easter for yourself? He goes on to say how some might do Easter as a comma. It makes you stop, makes you pause and think and listen. But that's all it does for you. Others might view Easter as a big, bold period. Easter period. That is, you're, you, you, you thought you'd feel excited about it. But Easter kind of just comes and goes like every other holiday. Lamusio then describes Jesus' first disciples and how they moved from a period. Jesus was dead and buried, ending all their expectations Then they move to a question mark with the news of an empty tomb and finally to one massive exclamation point as they behold him with their own eyes. And I would contend that this one event, the resurrection of Jesus, separates Christianity from every other religion and philosophy and ideology in the world, past, present, and into the future because it's the only one that says Our God rose from the dead. Dustin Benji writes, A dead hero in the grave is of no help to anyone. All the gods and prophets of every religion in the world are dead and remain in a tomb. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. Jesus is reigning. And Jesus is returning. Amen? See, only the Bible, young people, college students, university students, Only the Bible of all spiritual books claims that God became flesh, lived among us perfectly, died innocently, rose victoriously over sin, death, and Satan. And this was God's will and plan, that Jesus would come voluntarily, that he would submit to the will of the Trinity. That's why I read Isaiah 53 to you on Good Friday morning. That's what Paul meant in Philippians chapter 2. He gave himself over to the authorities. He died by giving up his life and he rose from the dead of himself. And thus he makes it possible for us to know and experience and receive love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and transformation. And I want you to remember something here this morning. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've had done to you, No matter what your gender is, your skin color, no matter what your economic condition, no matter your family history, it doesn't matter what your struggles are or your hurts, whatever your doubts or failures or fears, listen to me, God loves you. Jesus died and rose again for you. And the Spirit of God will come to you and heal you and restore you and he'll focus you and empower you and use you and make promises that will always be kept for you. And so for just a couple of moments, let me just walk you through this passage because it's largely narrative. It's the reporting of facts. So let me give you four thoughts to take into your Easter weekend. Number one, you'll notice in chapter 27, 62 to 66, you see the world's fear of the resurrection. The title of my sermon is called The Repercussions of the Resurrection. So what are the, what are the repercussions of it? And you see it in verses 62 to the end of chapter 27 that the world feared it. You see, timing here is very important. And you'll see that fear makes us do things we'd never normally do. And if you don't know the history of Judaism, you might not catch this. You see, this group of chief priests and Pharisees, 
You remember earlier as I'm preaching through the gospel of John, they claimed to be the sons of Abraham. They were sons of God. They were the keepers of the law. They upheld the Mosaic law, and they were proud of this, yet they had a common enemy in Jesus, and because of that, they were willing to kill for it because they had just crucified Jesus. But I want you to notice that on the day after preparation, which was Friday, so now it's the next day, Saturday, it's their Sabbath. If you remember, if you've read anything about the Gospels, you know that commonly they accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. Now here they are doing the very thing they accuse Jesus of. And it's like Matthew wants us to pay attention to how much he would go out of his way to tell us this. But I want you to notice something else. Don't miss this, okay? Notice how much the description in chapter 77, 62 to 66, tells us that Jesus is actually dead. He is dead and he is buried. He's not suffering. He hasn't passed out. He didn't swoon. He's not in a coma. Everybody there says he's dead. Whether back earlier was the request of Joseph of Arimathea to bury him or before the actual the Passover started or putting Jesus in a grave, wrapping him in linen, Jews, Gentiles, lovers and haters, everyone there says Jesus is dead. The old Anglican minister J.C. Ryle says, These verses contain the history of our Lord Jesus Christ's burial. And there was yet one thing needful in order to make it certain that our Redeemer accomplished that great work of redemption which He undertook. That holy body in which He bore our sins on the cross must actually be laid in the grave for it to rise again. His resurrection was to be the seal and headstone of all the work. And so right out of the gate, Matthew points out for us that the chief priests themselves actually helped confirm for us that Jesus actually died and was buried. But you notice, they defile themselves on Sabbath. On Sabbath, their holy day. And by the way, this is the Passover Sabbath. This is the most holy day because they go to Pilate, probably in the fortress of Antonio, or they met with him in the court of Gentiles, and they defile themselves. They actually make themselves unable to be religiously pure to observe the very day that they felt was most holy. That's how intense their fear of Jesus was. They were so afraid of the resurrection that they said, listen, we got to make sure this doesn't happen. And it makes for strange bedfellows, because look at it. If you notice it, it was the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees together. There's only one other time in Matthew's gospel where this happens. They hated each other. They competed with each other, and but they've got a mutual enemy. And notice they call him the imposter. They don't even call him Jesus. They don't even call him uh, uh, anything they say. He's an imposter. And notice, this sounds very familiar because back in Matthew 12, Matthew says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. And it's amazing to me that the disciples didn't even get this, but these guys who claimed not to believe him did. The world was more afraid of a literal resurrection than even his disciples were. These doubters and skeptics and deceivers didn't want to take any chances. 
And so I love what they do because in the Jewish custom, they put Jesus in a grave that had never had anybody in it. They roll this stone in front of it. Any of you who traveled to Jerusalem or Israel, you know, it's not a stone that just anybody can walk up and move. This takes multiple human beings to do it. They roll this stone in front of the grave and then they say, put a seal on it. Now what that means is they literally melted a wax-like material and sealed that stone into place and then they set a set of guards. And they gave them a very specific set of orders. For the next 72 hours, nobody comes in or out for fear of your life. Jesus is dead. And their attitude was, we need to make sure he stays that way. But what's the second repercussion of the resurrection? Number two, how the world was changed by the resurrection. We see in the verse, the last of 27 how the world feared it, but in the first 10 verses of chapter 16, chapter 28, sorry, we see how the world was changed. It's not some random chapter, by the way, Matthew chapter 28, that where Matthew says, okay, I've told you the story. Let me come up with a cute little way to kind of bring the thing all back together. No, he wants us to understand it's the climax of human history, the culmination of God's plan. Paul would tell the Galatians in Galatians chapter 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so when you come to chapter 28, you have already read, John MacArthur describes it as the central event of God's redemptive history. The resurrection is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. You must get this. Everything that we are, everything we have, everything we hope is to be predicated on this reality. There would be no Christianity if there were no resurrection. And so with the resurrection as the theme and subject of this finale of Matthew, it's no wonder that he focuses on how the very resurrection changed the world, how it changed people. How it changed the course of human history. And it affected men and women. It affected their values, their hopes, their purposes, their strength, their mission. See, I love the fact that Matthew first tells us about the power of the resurrection in those first six verses. Did you see it? There's an earthquake. An angel descends from heaven. And that angel is described with clothes that is whiter than snow and like lightning. And once again, women and the guards all do what Scripture tells us every human does when they come face to face with the smallest bit of heaven's realms. They fear. But watch. The stone is rolled away. The grave is opened. The women fear, but the guards, well, to put it bluntly, they basically pee themselves and faint. That's what they do. The power of the situation overtakes them. They trembled. (laughs) Now, What were the Marys doing? Well, I wish I could tell you of their faith and how they were there to see the resurrected Lord. I wish I could tell you they got up early that morning to go and see a risen Savior. But actually, Mark and Luke tells us that they're going to mourn. They have other spices. It's ironic, isn't it, that the unbelievers are paranoid, and yet they take Jesus more literally and at his word than the disciples and those who claim to be his followers. Because the two Marys did not go because they wanted to see a risen Savior. They went actually to continue mourning. It was the Jewish tradition. For seven days after a death, they would mourn. You can read about it all in John chapter 11 and the death of Lazarus. 
<laughs> but can you imagine their surprise and shock and awe when they come to the place? Now, you might be tempted to gloss over here who comes and who their gender is, but I want you to take notice it's women that are the first ones to find about the resurrection of Jesus. And it is women to whom are commissioned to tell other human beings first about a risen Savior. This is how God changed the world because of the resurrection. The guards had fainted, but our passage says to the women, the angel of the Lord says, do not be afraid. And look at verse 6. The angel says, he is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. You realize this, right? The, the stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so those women could go in and look that Jesus was no longer there. Jesus is already resurrected. And with the dawn of that Sunday morning, all of Scripture was fulfilled and the plan of God was completed. Jesus had cried out on the cross, it is finished. And this is the exclamation point of that claim. And behold, just how quickly things change. Because these women hear of a risen Savior. In a first century culture, women were not treated right. They had less value than men. They were often treated as property. In fact, the way that the world was set up in the first century, women weren't even allowed to testify in court. And I love this. Jesus says, oh world, you that are afraid of me, watch, when I rise from the dead, not only do I raise from the dead and change people, I will take people now, my sons and my daughters, and I will make them equal. And it is to these women, if you were writing this story as a fraud, you'd never choose women. Because the, the culture would have said, no, 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 we can't believe them. Jesus says, no, this is what I do. My resurrection changes everything. He says, you are the daughters of God. You are sisters of mine, joint heirs with me to all God's glories to come. You will not only be calmed of your fears, but now you'll become the first missionaries of my risen reality. Look at what he says. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples, oh, listen, ladies, the resurrection of Jesus makes you what you are, created in God's image and daughters of the king. Without a doubt, my favorite part of this is the end at verse 8 when it says, with fear and great joy. Matthew does a great job of weaving these things. Remember back in Luke, ahead in Luke chapter 2, angels said, we bring you tidings of great joy. Joy that is on display. Jesus' resurrection changed the world. It gives and gave us hope. It makes men and women equal, equal in value. Sons and daughters of God are not just dreams, but because of Jesus becomes reality. And see it unfold in verses 9 and 10. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Again, I don't know about you, but I'm an emotional guy. I really wish I knew what that sounded like. What was the sound of the risen Savior's voice like? When he comes to these women who thought they were coming to mourn, now they're running to tell their friends. And there he is. And notice he uses that same words, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they will see me. But they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Jesus met them. Church, listen, Easter Sunday, Jesus meets us in our time of need. I love that these ladies went from fear to joy, the joy to worship. Look how free and intimate that worship is. They take hold of his feet. They're not afraid of him. 
They bow down before him and they grab his feet and they kiss his feet and they worship him because they've got access now. They're not afraid. They can run to Jesus. They can spend time with him. They feel safe. Oh, don't you want to see the effect of the gospel in our churches? That our children, our young ladies, our men and our women can feel safe. Where there's respect and love and joy. The world has changed. But how would it react? Look at verses 11 to 15. Because now how the world deals with the resurrection. In a word, deny it. Look at what it says there. The chief priests and the elders are there. And the, the, some of the guard, they obviously wake up from passing out. There's no body in a grave. The women are gone. They're like, what do we do now? We were given one task. We blew it. So some of them, not all of them, some of them were brave enough to say, well, we better go report this no matter what happens. And so they go. And do you find it ironic that the first human beings to hear that Jesus rose from the dead, apart from these ladies, are actually the religious leaders of Israel? And what do they do? No, it didn't happen. Didn't happen. And then again, as I told you, when it says they're for that sum of money, they actually negotiated it. Jesus rising from the dead, friends, is either the greatest news ever or it's the worst news ever. And if you reject God, Jesus, if you reject that you're a sinner, if you reject that you need this, then this is what happens. You feel compelled to be self-made. You feel compelled to be in control. And so do you find this funny? You know what their lie is? Their lie is the very thing they tried to stop back in chapter 27. Here's the plan, guys. I know we tried to set a seal and we put you there. So here's the plan. You're going to tell them that those 11 fishermen and that trader and that tax collector who were so afraid that one denied them, denied Jesus, the other one took off. Mark ran away so fast he was naked. Okay? That brave bunch of 11, they came, overpowered you, knocked you all out, unsealed the stone, and took Jesus' body. There's our story. How does the world deal with the resurrection? Deny it. Make it up. As one person puts it, if Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20 is the great commission, then at Matthew chapter 28, 11 to 15 could be called the great cover-up. So they had their story. And we know that our presence here today in April 21st of 2019 proves that the story didn't take. In fact, I find it hilarious. You can deny Jesus ever existed. You can deny his godness or his miracles, and you can deny that he suffered and died, and most of all, you can deny his resurrection. But if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then that changes everything. And so your only option is to accept it or reject it. If you accept it, you've got to believe what Jesus said about himself and about you and about me and about the world in general. We believe him about how we see life and humanity and sexuality and money and pleasure and death and life and marriage and the family and hell and heaven, the meaning and purpose of life. So it is any wonder that Matthew would tell us that the story was deny it happened. But here's where I hope you can be encouraged this Easter Sunday because fourthly and lastly, verses 16 16 to 20 how the church is commissioned because of the resurrection. Now, of all the words that are said here, here's my favorite part. As a guy who has struggled in his life, when Jesus addresses those women in verses 10 and 11, he tells them something that I find fascinating. Peter, remember, we know from John, is back to being a fisherman. He's by the seaside. 
Thomas, remember, wouldn't believe that Jesus could be raised from the dead. Hence, we call him Thomas the Doubter. These guys had all fled. Only John was ever brave enough to go to the cross and actually see Jesus crucified. One Judas, we know, took his own life. The other ten ran away and hid. And Jesus' first words to these ladies, look at it. Go and tell my brothers. Do you see it? Women are empowered and commissioned. And these disciples, those weak, doubting, running, scared, confused, even denying disciples are called my brothers and they will see me. Just like those ladies, Matthew uses those sight words. You're going to see now. You'll understand now. Jump back to verse 16. Those 11, when they were told by the ladies, like the ladies, they worshipped him. But notice again, it says, but, but some doubted. Now, I don't think it's a, a word there that you want to. It's not that they doubted him. We, we doubt Jesus. It's they hesitated. And, and let me ask you, wouldn't you? You watched him die. You watched him beaten and mocked and scorned. And Did they know what had happened at the temple with the chief priests and the guard and this story? They probably felt like failures. They had run away. And look at how Jesus responds. He calls them brothers. And then in that great commission, he sandwiches that great commission. And look at it. He sandwiches the great commission with two great promises. He says, listen, first of all, you need to know, my brothers, all power is now given unto me. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Oh, and by the way, what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to be with you always. Oh, and there's one more thing. Even unto the end of the age, because the resurrection of Jesus didn't only fuel their commission, it empowered it. And that's what I love. Lee Strobel said this about the resurrection. He said, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I'd have an even happier life than I had as an atheist. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling. Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. These worshiping but hesitant disciples... The ones who doubted and denied and had run away naked. The ones who argued over greatness and misunderstood God's plan for humanity are given these promises. I can almost hear Psalm 23. Thy rod and your staff, they comfort me. Folks, I told another pastor just this past week, Psalm 23 is not simply a psalm to be read at funerals. It was the psalm David used to get through life. It was the psalm he used to understand hardship when he needed those promises. These promises provided comfort and protection that they were needed for the commission that they're called to. And so this morning, Calvary Baptists and friends and visitors, I ask you these four questions. Are you afraid of the resurrection this morning? Are you inspired by the resurrection? Are you denying the resurrection Or are you hesitant about the resurrection? Because I believe our passage actually answers all these questions. You see, if you're here this morning, you'd say, Pastor Steve, listen, I'm here, I was invited, or I'm here because I was raised in this tradition. I'm here, and I don't even know why I'm here. But I'm afraid. I have a lot of fear. I want you to know that 1 John tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. So Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, come unto, me, all, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't have to be afraid of the resurrection of Jesus. 
Jesus loves you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Steve, I'm inspired by the resurrection. Then the response of Jesus is a call to come follow him and proclaim him. I look out on your faces and I see a number of young people and you're transitioning from from university to to adulthood or from senior high to university life and you're going to go out into the world and I want you to be inspired. Don't sit still on your youth. Don't feel like because you haven't grown enough that maybe you can't be a great testifier of the Lord. No, listen, if God has worked in your life, go tell everybody how he did. Have you ever thought about all the proclaimers of the Bible? Shepherds who also couldn't testify in court. Angels, women, publicans, fishermen, a faceless Samaritan woman, a frightened Pharisee, blind men, demon-possessed people, young maidens and young boys, they all served Jesus and proclaimed him to others. And so my question is, what about you? Will you be inspired by the resurrection this morning? Or are you one of the people here saying, you know what, dude, calm down, stop your sweating, get this thing over with, because I deny it. I deny Jesus. Then I want you to know something. Jesus loves you. Paul said in Romans 5 that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You may be denying Jesus, but he will not deny you if you will just trust him. Peter denied Jesus and was shown love and patience. Thomas doubted. But Jesus showed up and told him, put your finger in the holes of my hand and thrust your hand into my side. And he said, oh, Lord, my God and my Savior, he will come to you even in your denial if you will but believe. And lastly, Christian church. This is where I'm going to get real personal. If you're like me, I worship. I loved singing with this choir behind me. I I really did. It, It really turns my crank, and I love to worship God, but I'll be honest, often in my life, I hesitate. I long to do things for Jesus and be bold for Jesus, but I'll hesitate ever so slightly. But listen, Jesus rose from the dead. All power has been given unto him. He is now the full humanity to know us. And that's why Romans 4 tells us that he knows us and was tempted like we are yet without sin. So we can go before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. Russ told us in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10 on Friday that Jesus went in once for all and paid the price for our sin. Revelation 21 promises, just as we prayed and heard prayed at the beginning of our service in Daniel, that there will be a time coming when there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. Will it not be the most freeing thing to know that because Jesus rose again, there will come a time when you will never shed a tear because of sorrow ever again. You can bring to God your lament. I turn to God. I lay out my complaints. I ask boldly, and I'm reminded that God can be trusted with my pain, and I can live because I'm resting in the grace He provides because I know He rose from the dead and He's coming again. Can I ask you, just like our video said, do you know Him? Do you trust Him? The risen Savior, my friends, is for the young and old, male and females, the hurt and the downcast, the proud and the self-righteous person and the self-sufficient person. 
It's for the person that's been taken advantage of. For those of you that are here, sitting here maybe in fear to let anybody know that you were abused or taken advantage of, that you've been defeated. It's the risen Savior is for that husband who's blown it with his wife or the wife who feels abandoned by her husband. It's for the parentless child and the children of scorn who are embarrassed by their parents. It's to those who have blown it with money or morals. It's to the women who fear men and yet try to control them or use them. It's to the parents who think they've messed up and cannot come back from their failures. A risen Savior is to the man who's been hurt by a woman but doesn't trust anybody but himself. Jesus lived for you and died for you and rose again for you. Jesus knows how you feel. He knows your pain, loves you so much he paid for your sin and will heal your pain. Indeed, Jesus paid it all. My friends, and all to him we owe. And what is it we owe? Love, trust, rest in him and on him. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to make excuses. Stop trying to justify yourself. Just come to the Savior. He patiently waits. Pardon for sin to receive. Look to the Savior today, the risen Lamb of God. And if you'll do that today, you'll be adopted by God through Jesus and sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Today, you will serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. Today, you will accept a risen Savior just as you are. Today, will you testify to a risen Savior? And this is what we celebrate at Easter. Not the hope of a risen Savior. Not the rumor of a risen Savior. Not the I wish we had a risen Savior or dream we could. No, today we celebrate a risen Savior. And if I can say it, Jesus promised it. God performed it. Angels announced it. Women proclaimed it. Soldiers rejected it. Disciples denied it. But Jesus is risen. And oh, that we would live this reality today and that we would share this truth. Listen to me as I started. Let me say it again. Christ is risen. Amen? Amen. Amen. And even so, quickly come, Lord Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't know him, (laughs) like the video, do you know him? That's my king. I'd sure love you to know him. Christian, be inspired by him. Let this not be just another Easter. Let this be the Easter that the truth and reality of a risen Savior grips your hearts. Let's pray and sing one last song together. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity just to get excited about you. Lord, so often I'm tempted to apologize for my own excitement. I'm tempted to make excuses. I'm tempted to somehow act as if it's not right for me to be excited. Lord, you excite me. And Lord, I want to ask for your forgiveness when I try to subdue my own excitability. Lord, you rose from the dead. You have changed my life. You have forgiven me more times than I can count, and you will never stop. Lord, I believe that you exist more than I believe I exist. And I pray that every man and woman here this morning, if they don't know you, will be drawn by a curiosity or an emptiness or just a, a father, a sense that they cannot but know about you. I pray for the church that is made up of Calvary Baptists that we would get excited about you. That we'd want to serve you. Lord, I pray for hidden sin or secret faults or hurts. That people would understand that a risen Savior is not to be hid from or afraid of. We can grab a hold of your feet and hear those words, greetings, do not be afraid. So Lord, from the youngest to the oldest, from men and women, 
Lord, whatever the spirit of the living God is touching our heart and mind right now, may they know the peace that passes all understanding, and may they be brave enough and willing enough to talk to me or someone afterwards and say, pray with me, help me, I have a question, I have an issue, i got to deal with this. But Lord, indeed, let your kingdom come. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said,